hear NFL legends, players, coaches, and media members from around the country sharing their insights and stories with us year-round. Here on Thursday night, tailgate, 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 tail, 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 tailgate. Before we get to our next guest, Kurt Bavacqua, we want to give a shout-out to Don Stargell-Moore, daughter of my childhood baseball hero, Willie Stargell. Donna owns a consulting company called More to Life, and that's a number two, More to Life Consultants. It's a premier executive career and leadership coaching firm with over 20 years of leadership experience. Their goal is to work with companies that desire organizational change, accountability, and authenticity, which promotes high levels of employee engagement, and they also support individuals seeking to grow personally and professionally. Remember, folks, life changes in the blink of an eye, so live your best life on purpose. You can contact More to Life Consultants at m2lifeconsultants.com, and that's M, the number two, lifeconsultants.com, or give them a call at 855-888-2840. That's 855-888-2840. All right, now back with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Major League infielder Kurt Bavacqua. Let me remind you about Kurt's background. He's from Miami Beach, Florida. Played his college ball at Miami-Dade College. He was originally drafted by the Mets in the 32nd round in 1966 and the Atlanta Braves in the 6th round of the January 1967 secondary draft, but didn't sign with either team. He did sign with the Cincinnati Reds, who selected him in the 12th round of the secondary phase of the June 1967 draft. He was traded to the Cleveland Indians in 1971 and made his major league debut in June of that year. He earned the nickname Dirty Kurt for regularly having the dirtiest uniform on the team. He played in the major leagues from 1971 to 1985 for the Indians, Royals, Pirates, Brewers, Rangers, and Padres. He helped the Padres make it to the World Series in 1984 and had a couple of big home runs in that series. And we are very honored to have him back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Kurt, Chris and Bob here. Thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure, gentlemen. How are you? We're fantastic, Kurt. How are you? Uh, doing okay. Doing okay. Hopefully this COVID stuff's coming to an end. Um, but I keep reading stuff about it coming back in the spring. And yeah, I don't know. I'm due to get my second shot next week, so I'm going to be happy. And we'll go there from you there. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt, I, w- I want to start our time with you tonight by getting your thoughts. On, on today's game, it's been you know, driving Bob and I nuts for the last few seasons because more and more the game is becoming a home run or bust, you know, for hitters. I mean, guys are either hitting the ball a mile or they're striking out at a dizzying rate. And, you know, look, I, I know chicks dig the long ball. It seems like, you know, days, you know, when we had leadoff hitters who would get on and steal a base and a, or a number two hitter would hit behind the runner or when there's a guy on third less than two, sort of all the fundamental stuff, right? Hit the ball to the right side when the guy's on third. Stuff seems like it's gone. I mean, we have guys like Chris Davis now who has hit a combined 169 over the last three seasons. But, hey, when he hit home runs, the guy's still got a job. Hey, your thoughts on, on the, today's game versus when you play? Well, it's only getting worse. And we, we've seen that in this spring training uh, with the rules that they came up with. And I know last year was shortened. But, uh, I mean, come on, guys. These pitchers are 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", and weigh 230 pounds. These are strong men. Uh, These guys can go out and throw nine innings. Let them. I mean, it's a shame when you're going to call an inning after 20 pitches 
with the number four hitter and the opposition's lineup up to the plate and the bases loaded. I mean, that to me is not baseball. And shame on the Players Association for letting it happen, and shame on Major League Baseball for even thinking about implementing it. Yeah, so take that a step further, Kerr, right? And, and certainly last year, you're right, you know, with the shortened season. But one of the things we saw, and, you know, Bob and I are big Red Sox fans, but, you know, pitchers going out there, the starting pitchers, if that's what you want to call them, and I guess it is technically you are the starting pitcher because you started the game. But guys go two innings, maybe three, and then the next guy comes in and goes an inning, and then another guy comes in and goes an inning. I mean, it was, it was easiness to me what's going on with, with pitchers right now. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, that's the way that they're, uh, they're molding pitchers to be. Uh, you know, it's what baseball wants, evidently. They want, uh, uh, you know, guys to uh, – I think they're deathly afraid of Tommy John surgery and losing a pitcher for a, a minimum of a year and possibly as much as two and not knowing whether they're going to be able to come back or not. But uh, it, what they need to do is they need to back off the velocity and teach these kids how to pitch again. And I think that would do away with a lot of the problems that we're seeing in baseball now, or at least people that love the game are seeing. Uh, the people that are new to the game don't even realize what they're missing and don't even realize how it was played 25 years ago. And it's too bad because it's certainly not the same game that it was. And I don't, you know, I, I don't see it going back. I really don't. I, I think it's, it's going to continue uh, to slide down the mountain until it gets so deep into the valley that it's not going to have any way out. Yeah, and that's, that's troubling, Kurt, because to your point, I mean, when you were playing, I mean, guys, you know, starting pitchers, you know, completing 25, 30 games, you know, a year. I mean, getting a guy like Bob Gibson out of the game, you know, was you know, almost unheard of. So uh, now getting guys to the fifth inning is almost unheard of. I mean, if, you were, if you're a manager in the, in the uh, major leagues right now, would you go, like you mentioned a moment ago, Try to get your guys right now stretched out so that they can go nine innings. Or do you think the pressure is too much, you know, from owners, from sports agents, and you know, et cetera, to, you know, hey, you got to get my guy out of there. I can't, you know, this is my meal ticket. You, you, you put that guy down, you let him go four innings, you know, you're going to end up costing me money. Well, I think we saw that in the sixth game of the World Series last year when, Tampa Bay just basically gave the World Series to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, if they leave Blake Snell in that game, the Dodgers are not going to score off of him. They didn't have a chance. And when he was taken out of the game, Mookie Betts and uh, Corey Seager were the two happiest men in the world because they were the next two hitters in the lineup. And for six at-bats between the two of them, they hadn't touched the ball against Blake Snell. And here the manager comes out and gets them, and he did it because of analytics. That's the way it was. That's the way they ran their they run their organization. And if they're going to continue to do it that way, they're not going to win championships. They've got good ball clubs, but I guess somebody has to win the championship, uh, and it's going to be the team with fundamentals. And I think Mookie Betts almost single handedly 
won that World Series for the Los Angeles Dodgers last year with one method of play, and that was his base running. Uh, he scored on infield outs on a couple of different occasions, whereas it would it could have ended the inning with any other runner in the game that didn't have the instincts that Mookie Betts has. And that's something you have to work on. And those are parts of the game that these kids nowadays don't work on. They, when was the last time you saw a play, uh, five players play pepper? <laughs> and they pepper, wonder why. Yeah, 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 I mean, really. And, and you know what it does? They discourage the game. Not discourage it. They basically outlaw it because they don't allow it on the fields. The groundskeeper has a more important position than uh, a player being able to handle a bat in certain situations. That's why these guys don't hit and run anymore. That's why they can't bunt. Uh, I mean, Pepper was a game that we played every day. And it developed hand-eye coordination and the ability to put the bat on the ball. Uh, You don't see that. Well, you see hand-eye coordination from players naturally. But uh, you don't see the ability to put the bat on the ball when you want to. I mean, if... I can't remember the last time I saw a pure hit-and-run play. I really don't. Right. I, I don't recall in 10 years seeing a hit-and-run play. And we know these guys can't bunt. <laughs> I mean, that's been, you know, that's been proven. Yeah. Kurt, I want to take you back to the early parts of your career. You got to, you know, Came up with the Indians in 71. You got to play with guys like, you know, Ray Fossey was on that team. Chris Chambliss was on that team. Veda Pinson, Sam Mm -hmm. Dow, Ken Harrelson, Fred Stanley, John Lowenstein. I could go down the list. What do you remember about your first couple of seasons playing in Cleveland? Well, I remember being at times overwhelmed uh, with the competition. And, uh, you know, it was before I... I really developed uh, some confidence. You know, I think that actually took until 76, 77 time frame uh, to really uh, know after putting in five seasons, knowing what I see Fernando Tatis do the first time he walks on a major league field nowadays is have all the confidence in the world. Uh, You know, it, it took a little while for me to develop that. So, um, it, you know, I remember being overwhelmed at times, um, uh, and having situations being too big for me to handle. Uh, and it, as experience, as the days went by and the years went by and, uh, and I gathered more experience, uh, then naturally that stuff started to wane and, uh, the thrill of, going in the Yankee stadium or going in the Mets stadium or uh, going in to play the Reds, uh, the Pirates, you know, the Oakland A's, all of those teams that were perennial winners uh, started to become fun. And it, it started to become a challenge instead of driving to Memorial Stadium in Baltimore and think, thinking, God, I'm going to have four days against Quayar, McNally, Palmer Dobson. If I can walk out of here with two hits, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> you know, it, it was, uh, you know, it was, it, it was tough. 
so, you know, the, these players nowadays, they've got it, uh, you know, they've got it tough going too. I mean, the competition's great. Uh, got a lot of guys that throw the ball hard. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing to me that the movement, uh, that can happen, uh, to a baseball traveling 95, 96 miles an hour. We don't ever recall, um, really seeing much of that, but uh, I do remember the guys with the, with the heavy baseballs, guys that used to throw a heavy ball and talk about what they were. You know what? I still haven't figured that out. Uh, yeah, I, I, I swear, uh, it, it must be the way they grip the ball. It must be, uh, it has something to do with the size of their hands. Uh, because it wasn't because they were, uh, they had overwhelming velocity, but it, it was, it's just because the ball would dive a little bit. And instead of jumping off your bat, it used to burrow into your bat. And it was, uh, you know, there were a few guys around that, that did that. Dick Tidrow was, uh, was an example of a guy that had a heavy ball. Uh, it was a guy that pitched for the Braves. Um, you know, Adrian Devine that used to throw a heavy ball. And those, those kind of pitchers were tough, but. Those are really the only guys that I remember seeing with, uh, yeah, there were a few others, but the only guys that I can remember that had any kind of velocity, and when I mean velocity, I'm looking upward at 90 miles an hour, that had movement on the ball. You know, I see this May kid from the Dodgers throwing 96, 97, and, and the ball looks like it's sinking. So it's, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing. Uh, with uh, what they can do with the baseball nowadays. And, um, it, you know, I still enjoy watching the game. Uh, I mean, I'm tuned in every single night. Uh, you know, I love to watch players that are exciting play the game. Uh, you know, do I always agree with everything that's going on? No. But you know what? I never did back then either. So, <laughs> it's, uh, but it, yeah. it has certainly changed. Uh, and, and I don't think for the better, I mean, I'd like to see it go back to, you know, a 35 home run guy is a, is a big home run hitter. Uh, but he's also hitting 320. I mean, you right. just don't see that anymore. You know, you don't, I, I think yeah. the players still have as much pride as we had, but the incentive is not there for them to do the things that we were used to doing, you know, the hippie. I mean, you're not going to see a guy give himself up. He's just not right. going to do it. I mean, we watched the playoffs in the World Series last year where they started a guy at second base. How many times did the manager bun him over? How many times did the player attempt to bun him over or hit the ball to the right side of the infield so that that player could advance from second to third? Right. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Five yeah, questions for crazy. Kurt. Uh, Kurt, it's great to talk to you again, as usual. And, uh, you know, Thank and, you, sir. back to the strikeouts. And, uh, you know, I was looking at your record. 1979, Kurt, you almost had 350 plate appearances. 
and you struck out 25 times, which is that, that's phenomenal. And uh, th- that ratio is so good. I mean, obviously, it meant something to you. And I have this argument with everybody, and, and Chris knows we talk about it a lot. There's those people out there say, well, it doesn't make a difference if you strike out or you pop up. Or I always said, look, you put the bat on the ball, things happen. You know, it's baseball. Baseball is a funny game, as, as many people once said. So, uh, but I mean, obviously, it is a different game now. Uh, but talk about that. I mean, what do you think about making contact? Putting, to me, a very valuable player is somebody who doesn't strike out much. Well, I. I I absolutely took pride in in the fact that I took pride in two things. Um, driving in runs, especially with a man on third base and no outs or one out. I felt like it was my job to get that runner in, even though there might have been some leeway with if I made an out, the guy behind me could still get him in. But I, you know, I really took pride in that. That's something that I have talked to my 19-year-old son about uh, hundreds and hundreds of times. That when you get up to the plate with a man on third and no outs or one out, you have to get him to home. I don't care how you do it. Get him to home. And going back and answering um Basically, the question of uh, would you rather see somebody make contact? Uh, how many different ways are uh, are there to for for something to happen if you put the ball in play, opposed to if you just swing and miss it? Sure. Uh, you know, infielders have an opportunity to make an error. Uh, you have an opportunity to to get a base hit, whether it be an infield type of hit or a hit over the infielder's heads, uh, going back to getting a runner over and getting them in the scoring position, if you put the bat on the ball and hit it to the right side of the infield, that runner is going to get from second to third. And then there's many, many more ways to score from third base, even if there's two outs, because of, again, the errors, the box, the things that you put the defense on defense. And that makes a big difference. I mean, you put a little more pressure on the defenders. If they know there's a man on third and and the third baseman backhands a ball and he knows that he's got to make a good throw or a run scores. And anytime you can put pressure on the other team, uh, you've got an opportunity to to turn out a positive uh, impact instead of just letting the guy sit at second and knowing that if he makes a bad throw that he's still going to stay at third most of the time. But naturally, if you airmail it, throw it in the stands, he's going to score. But, you know, there, you don't you don't see that in today's game. Uh, it's accepted that guys can strike out. The, the amount of money that they're making uh, nowadays just calls for home runs. Uh, and the scouts, I tell you what, uh, if you go to a college game or, or one of those youth baseball games over in the Arizona or Florida area with USA baseball or, or perfect game, uh, the scouts are going to herd towards a pitcher 
that's throwing hard opposed to a guy that's getting everybody in the lineup out by spotting the ball and and throwing off-speed pitches. So they're looking for guys that throw 90-plus, 93-plus, and they're looking for guys that hit the ball out of the ballpark. Parents, if your sons can't do one of those two things, don't waste your money by bringing them to showcases. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's like wow. just taking money and burning it out of your pocket. <laughs> True. Wow. And, Kurt, uh, I want to ask you, I mean, talk on that same topic. You played with probably the anti-K guy of all time, Tony Gwynn. Now, Tony Gwynn uh, was mostly, for a guy that had <laughs> 600 at-bats, would be in the teens striking out most of the time. Never struck out more than 40 times. He was basically making his mark when you were leaving the game, Kerr. I mean, but you did see him hit 350. Uh, tell us about him as a teammate, and did you have any doubts that this guy would be a Hall of Famer after a few seasons? You know, I look back on, on uh, the time that I spent in the big leagues and the way I looked at my teammates, and with the exception of them being good, I never really thought of, boy, Tony's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Mm-hmm. Or Stargell's going to be in the Hall of Fame. This is really cool that we're on the same team. Uh, it, Pops is probably one of the best players that I ever played with in baseball. Uh, and other than just looking at him as a great teammate, uh, a hell of a player, and a and a good guy. Um, I never really looked at things that way. The 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 guys that just really stood out in my mind uh, were guys that were in the Hall of Fame when I was growing up. You know, the DiMaggio's of the world, even Henry Aaron. I never really thought, sitting next to him in a locker room, I never really thought about, boy, this is probably Henry's last year, and in five years, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Never really thought about that. That's why I don't have any damn uniforms. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have any bats, although I take, the, I take that back. I actually got a game-used bat from Henry Aaron. His last year wow. in baseball. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I have it. I have it to this day. And uh, and it's a prized possession. It's uh, no doubt. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty cool. But you know the mantles of the world and and the DiMaggio's of the world and the Barras, um, the guys that are. Boy, how can I put this without sounding like uh, I look at them as the real type Hall of Famers. Right. I think there's some fake type Hall of Famers that are that are in there now, and I I hate to take anything away from a player's performance and, and the amount of time that they spent in the league and what they did on the field, but um, I think the Hall of Fame has become uh, become a marketing uh, thing now. 
and it's almost like they have to induct people. Although they didn't this year because they had Derek in the wings. <laughs> right. Kurt, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? And listen to your show, by the way. Yeah, we have, uh, uh, when I say we, Hank Bauer, who is the uh, not the ball player, although he gets fan mail all the time. Uh, Hank Bauer is a former uh, special teams guy and the co-captain of uh, San Diego Chargers football team. Uh, but him and I do, uh, boy, we've got one of those shows that is a podcast slash radio. We actually are on a 50,000 watt radio station, uh, here in Southern California. And, you know, it streams, uh, in all the normal places. So, uh, you know, people can find it. It's called grumpy old men. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a perfect title. It's a perfect title for Hank. I'm not grumpy at all. <laughs> no doubt. Kurt, it's always a pleasure having you as part of the show. You always make this segment so much fun. We hope you'll come back and do it again sometime. Guys, it's uh, it's my pleasure. Best of luck to you and continue the good work. Uh, we appreciate easy, you, Kurt. You. Stay safe we'll out there. All the soon. best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you, you too. See you, Kurt. That's a great Kerpa Vaca. Wow, what a what a memento, Bob. Uh, Hank Aaron bad from his final season in Milwaukee. My goodness, I'd have that thing uh, in a big plastic thing with a light spot, spotlight shining down on that. Yeah, that's for sure. He had a, when you play as long as he did, fifteen years with so many franchises. Uh, you know, we could talk for for weeks with this guy about. Hall yeah. of Fame teammates and everything, but uh, it's uh, it's always uh, an honor talking to him. It's, it's, the time goes by so quickly, Chris. Yes, it does. All right, we've got our next guest, Randy Fuller, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Randy on the other side of this real quick station break. 